This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 494, and the quote of the day is, we keep moving forward, opening new doors and doing new things, because we're curious, and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on? Nick Ruffini here, episode 494, and I hope all is cool with you. And if you haven't already, be sure to be following us on Instagram at Drummer's Resource or you know, on the Facebook page, Drummer's Resource, and signing up for the mailing list because we're doing a huge giveaway for the 500th episode, including a bunch of amazing prizes from a bunch of cool companies. And we're not just talking t-shirts and stickers here, kids. We're talking full-on gear giveaways. So be sure to keep an eye on what we got going on on social and on the mailing list. You can sign up for the mailing list just by going to drummersresource.com. And this episode is brought to you by my friends at Dream Symbols, and they have been a part of this podcast for a very long time. I ask that you support them because they support this and they keep it free for everyone listening. And if you don't know about Dream, check them out. Go to dreamsymbols.com. They make amazing sounding symbols that don't break the bank, and they are an amazing group of people over there. But these symbols, you got to hear the symbols. Go to dreamsymbols.com and check them out and I, for years, thought that you had to buy the most expensive symbol to get a good sounding symbol, and Dream has has uh, proven that theory wrong because they sound great, and they are priced well below everyone else's prices. So check them out, dreamsymbols.com. So this conversation today is with Mark Stepro, and Mark and I have sort of, we've been internet friends, and we have a lot of mutual friends, and we've sort of talked, you know, we've talked a lot back and forth on social, and finally got together here in LA to do a, a podcast episode, and Mark has a really cool story. He's originally from Ohio, and now he's in. He was in New York for a little while. Now he's in LA, and he works a lot with Butch Walker. Not only working on the albums that Butch Walker produces, but also he's on his personal records and he tours with Butch. And they work on a lot of amazing records, like huge records for bands like Train and Keith Urban and Gavin DeGraw and The Wind and the Wave and Brian Fallon of of uh, Gaslight Anthem and. He has really carved out a niche for himself to where he's working with Witch Walker and he's also touring with them. But then he's playing in all of these different bands and doing these all these other projects that he thoroughly enjoys. And for me, I've always talked about the idea of creating a a career that you want and doing that decisively instead of just falling sort of backwards into a career uh, instead really being deliberate about who you're playing with how you're approaching things who you want to connect with and mark has done that very very well and he shares some really really amazing nuggets of information in here and i went back and listened to the episode again and was just thinking man this is a great great episode. So I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited for you to hear it. And I know that you are going to glean a lot of knowledge from it. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let Mark start talking. Let's get into it with Mark Stepro. So we're in Studio City. We're not in a restaurant. No. 
We're in a studio here in uh, in Studio City. And Mark, thanks for being here, buddy. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to yeah. be here. Good to be anywhere. This is. Uh, I feel like this has been a long time coming. Like you and I have just sort of been like chatting back and forth for a long time, whether it be like on Twitter or text or or whatever. And we finally made it happen. I'm a staunch supporter of. Uh, Drum podcasts across the board. I appreciate I'm a that. Friend, friend of the pod, as those, <laughs> yeah, uh, as they say, as the Pod Save America guys say, yeah. Well, I appreciate it. So I want to talk. You and I have had some really interesting conversations about about taking control of your career, doing the things that you want to do, doing the things that you are not doing, the things that you don't want to do. Sort of, uh, you know, putting yourself in in the positions that you want to be in, which I think is is extremely important. I want to dive deep into that as we get into this conversation because it's always something that I struggled with and and to talk to you about it and to have others come on the podcast and talk about it to me is is really good for other people to hear and to other people to understand that you can sort of craft your career the way that that you want to if you want to go down that that uh that route. But let's rewind a little bit and I want to talk about you growing up in Ohio because you seemingly from from Ohio, I don't know what happened between Ohio and New York, and we can talk a little bit about that. But between uh, getting to New York and then getting here, you seemingly have a knack for building building relationships with people, and I don't mean that in a in sort of like a sleazy like networking way. I I think that you have a, a knack for developing genuine relationships. So how have you built your career, like starting in Ohio? getting to New York, getting to L.A., like, what was that like for you? Um, okay, yeah, it was one step in front of the other for a long, long time. Um, I come from a little tiny town uh, north of Columbus, Ohio. My parents are school teachers, um, not a rock and roll bone in either of their bodies. But when I was a kid, they were freakishly supportive and got me a drum set and let me make an ungodly amount of noise, mm-hmm. kind of all the time. And nobody ever told me to shut up and <laughs> knock it off. I'm, 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 my hat is off to them. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up there. I, I grew up in Ohio, uh, went to college, did undergrad in Columbus, Ohio. And then um, my then girlfriend, now wife, was moving to New York to go to graduate school at Columbia. And I had always wanted to move to New York and be a musician anyway. So it was total uh, serendipity as far as that went. So I moved out there to be with her and to also, you know, try to do New York, um, which I did for five years. Made a bunch of really, really good friends, made a bunch of really, really good music, saw a bunch of really, really good music, and I was challenged and I learned and saw how so did many you good make, things. Sorry to interrupt mm. you, but how did you, like, you move to New York, right? Mm-hmm. And you wake up Monday morning and you're like, yep. what do I do? Yeah. Where where do I start? Yeah. And you and I are you and I are the same age, so uh-huh. so we grew up so, like at the end of the internet era, yeah. right? So in the beginning like we didn't have I didn't grow up with YouTube and and email and it came later. And, and all that stuff and it came later like, you know, for me it was college so, mm-hmm. or for us it was, you know, at that age. Um so what do you do? Okay. Um I love talking about this cuz this Good. is this is like the real this is the real, like, how the sausage is made. Well, because everyone's like, oh, you got to get out there, man. You got to network. You got to meet people. And it's like, okay, uh, what do I do? You, yeah. You do. You have to do it in a genuine way where people aren't able to sniff out that that's what you're doing. You don't want to come into a situation asking somebody, like, what can you do for me? Mm-hmm. Um, New York 
does not require me, me or my services. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> New York is perfectly fine without some drummer from Ohio showing up. Right. But, man, there was this Martin Scorsese documentary about Bob Dylan where he talks about, it's called No Direction Home, and Dylan's talking about moving to What's New called York. No Direction? No Direction Home, home. like the, from the lyric from mm-hmm. Rolling Stone. And he said, well, I went down over the GW Bridge and went down to the East Village because that's where all the folk singers were. And he just went to where the stuff was happening. Mm-hmm. And I'd been in a band in college that had toured to New York, and we'd played at like the Mercury Lounge and uh, maybe Rockwood and mm. the living room and stuff like that. So I just went down on the F train and got off at Second Avenue and just was like, okay. And it was sort of like going to the prom by yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're like, I, again, like I was saying, like nobody cares that I'm here. Right. Like I'm just. That was I, my experience at NAMM the and, first time. And I walked sure. out, I was like, literally no one knows who I am. Better find some friends, because <laughs> yeah. otherwise this is going to be a really boring <laughs> yeah. couple of hours and also very loud. Um, and I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have the luxury of, like when I moved to LA subsequently, which I'll get to, I already knew a bunch of people. And you always hear stories about guys who moved to Nashville because they're college roommate already had a gig and kind of uh, championed them and sort of fostered them into a a scene or a situation. I didn't have that. I had a girlfriend who was getting an MFA in screenwriting at Columbia. So that is sort of of no use to me from from like a getting gigs point of view. But what I did was I went to this bar that uh, originally was on Stanton Street and at the time was on Ludlow Street called The Living Room. This was in 2005, 2006. And there was a guitar player playing there called Jim Campolongo, who is this really twisted kind of spaghetti western, Red Volkert meets Bill Frizzell meets Charlie Parker, jazz, improv psych guitar player. Nice. So cool. And it was Tim Lunsell on bass and Dan Reeser on drums. Dan Reeser, you should interview if he even does interviews, but he was in Nora Jones's band for many years. He was in that band Marcy Playground back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah. So Dan Reeser went to my college. He's much, he's significantly older than I am, but he was like the guys who were seniors at my college when I was a freshman. They themselves were freshmen when Dan was a senior. It's all Dan Reeser was this, Dan Reeser's the greatest drummer. It's like that SNL Bill Brasky kind of, a, you know, <laughs> I saw Dan Reeser. <laughs> and I didn't know that it was him, but he was playing. And this, after they, they went on break, I went up to him. And, and this is what I'm saying about like not being sleazy or something it's like i genuinely loved what they were doing like i was like a fan of their band Mm -hmm. instantly from watching it and i would go on to go watch that band every monday for two years Mm -hmm. anyway i just went up and said hey man god that was incredible like thank you so much that really really made my night i really really enjoyed hearing that you know and he was just like oh man dude no problem are you a drummer oh you're new to town oh cool man we need more drummers like instantly Mm -hmm. and and i hadn't even told him that uh I didn't know he was the guy from my college, um, and I hadn't we hadn't worked that out yet. But he was just this super unthreatened, very kind, very welcoming dude. And I mean, yeah, give me your number, like I'll call you for some stuff, blah 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 blah, instantly, and not in like a not in a phony kind of way. Um, and it, what I learned from that, I mean, that was sort of for, to answer your question directly. That was sort of my entry point into like now that whole place, that living room in the mid-2000s was a real scene. Like, Nora Jones was playing there all the time. Right. She had a side band called the Little Willies that were playing there all the time. There's a guitar player named Tony Shear that was playing there all the time. All these musicians who were just experts of... They weren't quite jazzers, and they weren't quite country musicians, and they weren't quite rock and roll guys, but it's like they lived 
comfortably in all of those milieus or genres or whatever you want to call it. Like mm -hmm. th these guys are equally at home playing, you know, Duke Ellington as they are playing the Cramps as they are playing the Leuven Brothers. Right, you know? right. And that was that was a lesson right there. It was just like, oh my gosh, like these people are so stylistically diverse in what they do. But the thing that I learned a lot from Dan and those other guys was like, oh right. Why, you know, f first of all, you're like, why are these guys being so so nice to me? Why are they being so cool? And it's like, oh, because they're really good. Like they don't <laughs> care. Like they're not freaked out by me. Like you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. they're not nervous about me. Like they're yep. very very comfortable in who they are, and they've got gigs, and there's plenty of gigs, and yeah, man, welcome to town. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I that was kind of how I got started in New York. I th I wonder now, not I wonder. I know now that scenes are different, and they, you know. Even even then, like two five, 2005, six, seven, mm -hmm. even in my even my hometown. So I grew up like outside of Philadelphia, and there was a town Westchester, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and uh, you know th th there was a scene like there, we played at this place, Spence Cafe, and there was live music seven nights a week, mm -hmm. and there was always musicians there, there was, mm -hmm. and you would just you would go and like you play a gig, and then you'd meet a guitar player, and they would hire you for this other thing, and it sort of like spiraled out out from there mm -hmm. but that's i feel like those scenes are getting fewer and farther between maybe less maybe not in new york uh i think there's still you know there's still some some stuff happening now but i think it's getting increasingly difficult to just like go and hang at these scenes mm -hmm. and what i'm seeing now is like people are people are taking to the internet which i think is great but maybe using it the wrong way where they're like if i get likes and followers you know then that should be, that should be good, and I should get yeah. I should get gigs from that. And so I think I'm tr I'm trying to figure out, and, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, or if you have one. How do we blend the two? How do you use the internet right. for good mm -hmm. while maintaining that those interpersonal relationships while you're trying to build this career? Yeah, I I gotta be very very careful as I talk about this so as to not come off like a crusty old guy complaining about the internet or whatever. Um, because obviously, you know, whatever. There's so many so many benefits to it. But it is true that what you're saying is that what I think we're seeing is maybe a crop of young guys who are wanting to take the elevator and not the stairs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Like if I just put this cover of me playing this like Rihanna song, then somebody will call me. I don't know, maybe that works. I, right. It might work, I don't know. Um, the people that I want to call me for a gig are not the people that would see me playing a Rihanna drum cover in, <laughs> in the first place. So I mean, that might get into like different, uh, who's that, there's a scholar like Harold Bloom or somebody that talks about like interpretive communities, like that might not be my community anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but when I was a kid, I came up playing in bands. I'm like a band guy. Like I right. come from band culture, so it's all about being with your friends and hopping in the van and going on tour and hanging out. And and it's probably true that those opportunities are significantly diminished, proportionate to what they were 20 years ago and maybe 20 years before that. Even. Mm -hmm. um, also complicating the situation specific to New York and not to again be cranky old guy doing sour grapes about New York but there's an incredible drummer there named Anton Fear who played with Jack Bruce and played with uh, John Zorn and the Sex Mob he was part of that downtown kind of 90s crew mm. phenomenal freak show of a drummer oh man that I had that record in the Sex Mob Does Bond mm -hmm. yeah that might have been Anton um, but he used to talk about you know in 1980 
you would play your gig on Bleecker Street that would pay 100 bucks, and you would go around the corner to your apartment on Sullivan Street where your rent was 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. Today, if that gig on Bleecker Street exists 35 years later, it still pays 100 bucks, but that apartment is now $4,000. Right. So it almost doesn't even have anything to do with the state of the music industry as it has to do with not to get weird and political, but like just income, like housing costs and like yeah, how uh, untenably expensive it is to live in a place. I mean, it's like the same way here. Like the, you know, and even coming from, even coming from New York, coming from, I lived in Hoboken mm-hmm. and I came here and I'm like, I, I can't believe how expensive it is. Yeah. 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 Although I would, I would push back on that a little bit and just posit that in LA there's a little bit, you can choose to live a little bit cheaper, maybe. Right. You don't have to live right in the middle of... You know what I mean? Like, you yes. can live in a little bit more yep. of a suburban thing. It's a very uh, horizontal city. It's all spread out. So everybody has a car anyway. So you're kind of driving kind of no matter where you live. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you can... It's a little bit easier than than New York. But, I, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just... And you said you were, you had just said you were living in, uh, in the Bay, which is, like, ground zero for... <laughs> untenable people are pushing over google buses because they're so angry at the sort of income inequality you know coincidentally before we moved down here there was a story uh i I think it was in the wall street journal that a u-haul rental for one day in san francisco was three thousand dollars because supply and demand they just didn't have enough because the mass exodus of people that were moving out of san francisco that's bananas that's really really unfortunate you know it's Again, we don't need to go down like the yeah. political inequality uh, uh, road, but but it's interesting because no, you know we're not we're not telling anyone they don't know. You know, you're probably not going to become a gajillionaire playing drums, especially as a as a sideman or like you know unless you're Chad Smith or somebody like that. So, but the problem is you need to live in these cities that are not the cheapest places to live. Like yeah. even Nashville, you know, it's getting more more and more and more expensive. Yeah. You know, like if you move to Miami, it's expensive. If you live in New York or if you live here. Yep. So there's there's this dichotomy that I don't know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, you know, is it maybe you drive more? <laughs> you know, you live farther out? Yeah. You, is well, it you get, a, you get a day gig? I don't know what it is. I think one, one thing that you do is you tailor and manage your lifestyle and your financial expectations to exist in accordance with this thing that you love to do so much that in and of itself is as rewarding of an experience as I could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. I consider myself rich, not to be glib, but it's like I get to play drums. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't make very much money, but I make enough. It's it's fine. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah, and, and you're absolutely right that you're not going to be a, a gajillionaire being like a side guy drummer for sure. It's it's for sure a labor of love. It's for sure very, it's almost like ascetic or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's like you have to really, really want to do it. Um, I remember, I think it might have been on your podcast, Billy Ward, that guy from uh, Cincinnati mm-hmm. or... Um, he said something to the effect of, and it sounds really cantankerous, but it, I, I understand the core of what he means, where he s- was saying something about, like, if there's anything else that you think that you might even remotely be interested in, you should go do Maybe that. pursue that, only because pulling this off, if you are, by the grace of God, lucky enough to do it, it is going to take everything that you've got. 
Right. And it, it does strike me as a little bit unrealistic to be like, well, I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to get my law degree. I'm going to have a couple of kids. And then um, I'll, I'll probably also be a professional drummer. And it's like, <laughs> that might not work out that way. Right. You should still play drums as much right. as humanly possible. And Worked out for Drew Scholes. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, <laughs> Drew's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, there you go. That's true. That's exactly right. I stand corrected. He said he got, when he got the job, they were like, you tired of being a lawyer yet? Yeah. Yeah, I think he was like a functioning lawyer. <laughs> he worked at a law firm. Yeah. Yeah, and they called him, and, and uh, I guess Pat was like, are you tired of being a lawyer yet? And he was like, why? And he was like, yep. do you want to join train? And he was like, uh, I'm tired. Yeah. I'm okay. And he I'm, said that he was like everyone in the law firm were like train fans of me. Oh, that's it, cool. It made it easy. Nice. So, but go ahead. But I, but I agree. I agree that you know. Okay, he is probably the the very rare exception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you just have to you have to just really really love it and just never ever stop. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and it's you know I hate to traffic in like kind of silly career platitudes or whatever. But there there's that kind of adage of like what is it if you do what you love you'll never work a day in your life you know what i mean like it's a grind being away from my house and it's a grind being at an airport at four in the morning but like otherwise like i love doing this Mm -hmm. so it doesn't feel like a job and i'm actually very lucky my dad is that way my dad who i was saying earlier who's super conservative old dude midwestern guy school teacher does not like rock and roll but what he does love is teaching high school government Mm -hmm. and he did it for 52 years and that was his version of me playing the drums. Yep. And the place that I grew up is, you know, kind of a economically not so happening spot. So all my all my friends' dads were mostly kind of blue-collar factory worker dudes. And so all their dads, the job was sort of a means to an end mm-hmm. to provide for their family or whatever, which obviously is as it should be. But I was very fortunate to have through my dad this behavior modeled for me which is there's this thing that i do that i absolutely love oh and it also pays for our house right so it was almost this like osmotic kind of like i didn't even have to question it that like as i developed and grew up i it was a foregone conclusion that i was going to try to do that Mm -hmm. thing sure does that make sense yeah 100 percent I think the same thing was modeled for me. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, like my mm-hmm. family's owned restaurants and stuff. And I remember my dad. I said, "Why did you go? Why did you go into the restaurant business to begin with?" And he said, "I was working at a job, and I was 25 years old, and there was a guy that was like barking, you know, barking orders at me. I didn't feel like one. The guy knew what he was doing. Mm. I think he was telling me the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree with it. And he was like, "I just don't want to work for someone for the yeah. rest of my life." You know, and he got out and started the restaurant business. They've been doing it for almost 50 years. Yeah. And <laughs> whether or not he loved it the whole time. Sure, of course. Yeah, you another, don't love it the whole time. Is another thing. But uh, but but there is power in that, in, in taking control either way too, right? It's mm-hmm. like you may, you may go out and start to be a freelancer and you say, you know what? I'm, this isn't really for me. And you can go the other way and go work for someone or mm-hmm. go, you know, have a boss. And I don't think that there's, I think we have to do what's right for us. But I think a lot of times we have this, we have this thing that, you know, whether society puts it on us or not, that we feel like society does where we're like, no, I have to, I have to just play drums full time or, you know, mm-hmm. I have to do what everyone else is doing mm-hmm. instead of, I see. instead of doing the thing that I want to do uh, or the thing that feels good to me inside. Right, 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 right. That's true. That's, and that's some, that's some getting older stuff. Yeah. That's some stuff that you learn later on, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, if you, if you maybe need to 
detach your identity of like who you are from what it is that you do. Right. You know, particularly something that's so immersive as drums. You know, mm-hmm. I wake up and I'm thinking about drums and I play drums all the time and but it's not who I am, you know what I mean? Like it's just a thing that I really, really love to do. Mm-hmm. Chris Layton, do you know Chris Layton? I know Played, the name. He was a drummer for uh, Double Trouble. Oh, cool, far out. And he said the same thing, and it kind of blew me away when he said it. And he was like, yeah, I'm, he's like, I'm a drummer. That's what I do, it's not who I am. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, no, because you're a kid and you spend all this time practicing and I can see how it would just sort of slowly become part of, it was my identity when i was a kid probably for you too like mm-hmm. in, high, in high school i was the guy in the drummer in the band whatever you know yep. so i can see how how you could um start to uh, assume that identity but you know and that's fine until it's not right you know until it's bumming you out and maybe you don't want to do it anymore or it's mm-hmm. not working out or whatever and then you have to kind of detach from that and go like yeah okay maybe i don't need to put so much stock in this as as who i am as, as opposed to just it's a thing that i do right and you're also you're a drummer, yes, but you're also a father. You're a husband. Yep. You know, you 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 have friends where you where you. I'm serve like it. a person that lives in the world, man. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's right. like way more important than anything. But you balance that well, I think. That you sort of, you know, there's a lot of guys who are heavily steeped in the industry who like can't tie their shoes. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And don't aren't like aren't real people. They just they're they. And and I'm sure you've seen it too. They're heavy drum guys or musicians, but then just can't get any. There's nothing else that they just can't get it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of you know. I got a, most like most people. Like I have a lot of diverse interests and things that I care about and think about. Obviously, my family being one of them. And um, although I'm fortunate, like I come from a community of musicians in LA that are I think similarly minded insofar as. Most of my friends can tie their shoes. Right. You know what I mean? Like that are interested in things other than other than drumming or whatever. And that just makes for a, you know, th- that's a person that I want to spend time with on the road. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. You, going back to what you were saying about how much money you make as a, as a drummer or as a, as a musician, they've done studies that if, once you get to a certain point yeah. monetary, I think it's $80,000 a Somewhere year. Somewhere between 80 and 100. That... The level, your level of happiness, like if you're making twenty and you live in LA, you're probably going to be a little unhappy, right? Right. Once you get to once you get to that eighty to a hundred point, mm-hmm. the the level of happiness doesn't go up any higher. Yeah. And but the workload increases, the stress increases. Yeah. All the all the negative effects of what you have to do to earn that money go up, but all the positive effects of happiness and and everything else yeah. don't go anywhere. It gets into a di- sort of a diminishing returns situation sure. where like the difference between six and eight hundred thousand dollars a year doesn't maybe really move the needle but it's probably really really stressful yep i don't know dude like i just and my wife's the same way like we just chase these things that we love to do and maybe we're a little blind about the sort of financial implications of those career paths or whatever but she works she loves what she does i work i love what i do we try to balance it out insofar as that we're home enough to be with our kid and our and the two of us together and the three of us as a family and and it works. Dude, how do you put a price on that? I, yeah, I don't know. Like what's, you know, some guy some guy can be like, "Oh yeah, I make I make $300,000 a year." And it's like, "That's great, you're never home." Mm-hmm. And when you are home, you're watching TV yeah. or, you know, you're or in your free time you're like hanging out with your friends. Or, I st- yeah, I st- I, str- I I struggle with that and th- think about that as it pertains to fatherhood and the relationship between fatherhood and being gone a fair amount of time and I was at this 
not to get into the boring weeds of parenthood, but I was at this preschool conference thing for my kid and there was a developmental psychologist that was there with all the parents just sort of doing FAQs. Does anybody have any questions? And this, this one guy was saying, uh, man, I'm just having a hard time getting my kids to bed uh, because I come home from work at 7.30 and their bedtime is at 8 o'clock. So I come home and they want to wrestle and they're all fired up and then it's really, really hard to get them to sleep. And she, whatever, she helped him with that particular issue. But what I zeroed in on was like, oh my God, dude, like, so for the rest of your life, like as long as you work at that job, you see your kids for like the half hour between the time that you get home and they have to go to bed. And that was oddly encouraging to me because yes, there are times when I'm gone for several weeks and it's very, very difficult on my wife. It's very, very difficult on me just emotionally to be away from my kid. But then there are other times, realistically, mathematically, most of the time, mm -hmm. When I'm just here and I'm just up in the morning, I'm like, what are we doing today? You want to go to the park? Want to go do this? Want to do that? You know what I mean? And like, right. if you were to game out the amount of hours that I'm going to be able to spend with him being a freelance musician, it's a lot more than if I worked at a, you know, mm -hmm. advertising firm or something like that. Makes total sense. I, I actually found that moving to California, I spend more time with my parents who live in Pennsylvania. I spend more time with them now than I did when I lived closer. Really? Yep. Why is that? Because we go home for a week at a time. I see. Okay, you know, right, right, 10 right. days at a time. And Whereas like, you wouldn't have been able to... Do we would pop down for the weekend, right, see right, him for right. three hours and drive home. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then I'd see him in a month and a half or something. But mm -hmm. now, like, you know, I can't remember... Before that, I can't remember the last time I spent seven days with my parents. And if you're 37, did you say? I said 30, I am. 38. 38, yeah, yeah. So it's like your parents are probably at the age where... It's important for you to go home when you can. Yeah. You know what I mean? 100%. Yeah, time is not moving backwards, that's no, for sure. No, it's not. For, for, for any of us. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to I, I touch on some of the stuff that you and I have talked about through various text messages and stuff like that. How We've always talked about the idea of, and you and I see eye, and eye to eye, that we want to, we like the idea of being in a band or the setting of a band and feeling like you're contributing to what's going on in the music mm -hmm. versus just you know somebody hiring you and say hey you drummer play this thing and then at the end of the night they say here's your money and you can and you can go home and you've caught you've purposely carved that out for yourself uh I, was there specific ways that you did that is it just a matter of saying no to certain gigs yeah it was probably a bunch of complete unaware trial and error just like you know, you, you just sort of wade into a situation. You're like, oh, I like this. This is nice. Right. And then you wade into another situation. You're like, oh, this is not, I don't don't particularly enjoy this. Uh, the, the, the two silly, like, taglines that I always say about that sort of thing is like, I don't want to play for somebody who doesn't know my last name. Right. And I don't want to play for somebody who I couldn't call and say, dude, I'm stuck at the airport. Could you, could you come grab me? Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that, you know, maybe that's a little unrealistic or a tall order or whatever. But what I'm what I'm largely sort of referring to is like I want to have a real connection with the people that I work with. Right. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with, you know, uh, uh, maybe more sort of buttoned down professional kind of pop music approach where there's the artist and you only see the artist on stage or whatever. Um there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I, just my experience has been sort of the inverse of that. So uh, there's a songwriter from Texas named Ben Queller who I spent many, many, many years playing with, who was mm -hmm. sort of my first big-ish, by my standards, 
gig. Right. Um, Mike was playing with him for a while too, right? Meadows. Do you know Mike? I do. Yeah. I do know Mike. I think yeah. he might still. Yeah, I think he's still playing with him. Yeah. yeah. Mike and I have shared a bunch of gigs. Uh, a guy named Hayes Carl in Austin. Mm -hmm. we, we've done a lot of the same things. Um, but Ben, he's, he's our age, you right. know, and he grew up in bands. Um, uh, I'll tell you a funny story quickly about please. about Mike. Uh, they, his neighbor came over, and was like, "Are you in a band or something?" And she and he was like, "Yeah, I play in a couple different bands." She was like, "All that Ben Queller cover stuff that you guys were doing sounded exactly like." And he was like, "No, that was." That was Ben Quell. We're just practicing over here. <laughs> practicing yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, I could fill an entire podcast just talking about how how much I love Ben Gweller and how good he was for me. Uh, let's let's go way back to when you were talking about the arriving in New York thing mm -hmm. and being freaked out, you know. Um, so I moved there. I had worked at a drum store in Columbus, Ohio called Columbus Pro Percussion that's a wonderful drum store. It's up there with the you know joint here in Hollywood mm -hmm. and those guys up in Portland, Revi 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 uh, revival, revival, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's that yeah. good. It's way too Jose good. Jose Yeah, way too good for sort of where it. You wouldn't think there would be such a happening drum shop in Columbus, Ohio, but there is. And I saved up a couple thousand bucks, moved to New York with my wife, and uh, we took a mini vacation to Fire Island, and I was tripping balls because I didn't have any gigs. And I was just like, everything about this feels wrong. Like the last thing I need to be doing right now is being on vacation, you know. And she's like, can you just relax? And I'm like, no. Like, and Fire Island is not because because there's like there's, there's money there and like yeah yeah. And you're yeah, like, oh right. my god, I yeah. can't I can't afford anything. Yeah, here. that's a good way of putting it. Like, what am I doing here? You know? <laughs> um, but so so my friend Chris Allen called me up uh, right as we got home, and he's a songwriter from Cleveland, Ohio, and he's sort of Cleveland's answer to. Paul Westerberg or Springsteen. He's this mm -hmm. very, very like roots kind of like awesome. He knows Rhett Miller very well. Like right. they're, they're kind of in that same world. He said, hey, can you come do this gig with me at the House of Blues? And I wanted to do it, but I was also like, I just moved to New York. I'm like really trying to do New York. I don't know that I want to be the guy that moves to New York and then is always going back home playing with his buddies, kind of like one foot in, one foot out mm -hmm. kind of a deal. So like, yeah, you know what? Forget it. I'll do it. Um, fly home gig was opening for Ben Queller, who I didn't know of. I, I, we, we played our gig, and I was in the green room eating the nachos, and Ben Queller comes in, and he's just like, hey, man, I'm Ben Queller. And I'm just like, hey, I'm Mark Stepro, you know? And uh, he was just like, dude, um, man, like, I, I, this is like within three months of moving to New York, by the way. He's like, man, I, I need a drummer, and I really, really enjoyed the way that you play. It's just, it's unfortunate that I would run into you in Cleveland because like, I mean, I live in Brooklyn and I mean, I just wish, I don't know, like it's too bad, but I really, really enjoyed hearing you play. And I was like, well, I actually do live in Brooklyn, dude, funny <laughs> enough. And he was like, no way. Like, sorry, that's how he talks. Um, but, and this is maybe, this ties back to what I was saying about the, the connection thing. He was just like, okay, cool. So he went to his laptop, burned a CD of his new record, gave it to me. He was like, cool. So like when you get back to Brooklyn, like let's, let's just jam and then like, I need a drummer. And I right. was like, okay, cool. So I learned the tunes, went over to his house, went to his studio in Bushwick. Uh, we talked about Credence. I played guitar and he <laughs> played drums. And then we got a pizza. And then he was like, cool, all right, well, I got this festival in Glasgow with the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and Yola Tango next week, Like, so let's, let's do it. And I was like, all right. Fair enough. Off we go. And I have to say, that was kind of like, for me, 
that was definitely my first. So like in that year of that record coming out that he made, I mean, we did Letterman like three times, Conan, all all those shows, like mm -hmm. all that stuff. And I had never done any of that stuff. Right. Nothing remotely close to that. And this is why I love one of the many, many, many reasons that I love Ben Queller and Butch, which I'll talk about subsequently. But my point is, Ben didn't care that I hadn't done that stuff. Right. That didn't give him pause. That didn't freak him out. He, for better or worse, sort of saw what he needed to see and plugged me into this system, mm -hmm. even though he would have been well within his rights to be like, well, wait, who's, what have you done? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I obviously would have been completely open, honest with him, but it, the answer was not much, mm -hmm. but he didn't care. Right. And we went on to do all this stuff and then, you know, boom, like that's when sort of tangentially stuff just sort of started popping off. And I played in that band for six, seven years and him and the bass player in that band, Chris Morrissey and the, the guitar player, Rich Hinman are, are, they're still some of my best friends. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And, and it, imagine if you would have said no. Yeah. And not done the gig at the House of Blues in right. Ohio. And that's, yeah, and, and I guess I wasn't even thinking about it, but I, part of the reason that I tell that story is to elucidate that so much of this is luck. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I practice really hard. I still do. I'm going to go do it after we're done talking. Right. But, but I, I had no control over that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that yeah. was just a weird situation that just kind of went in my favor you know yeah i also think that i also think it's it's like the the cliche uh you know you miss 100 shot or you miss 100% of the shots you don't take sure and it's sort of you keep putting i feel like if you keep putting your name in the hat mm -hmm. at some point your your name's going to get no picked. that's true and i think there you're you're talking about more like the concept of when you're young the idea of saying yes to everything um if the gig was in New York, I would have said yes, no, no questions asked for that exact reason. The reason that I was tentative about it in Cleveland was because it's like, well, I'm not trying to be a drummer in Cleveland. Right. You know what I mean? Like sure. this doesn't really how wrong I was, but I, my thinking was like, this doesn't isn't really going to do anything for me as far as New York goes. And right. I love my friend Chris, and I always enjoy playing with him. But I was like, this is not maybe the best use of my time because what I'm trying to do is get people to call me to play gigs in New York. Mm -hmm. um, which weirdly ended up happening, but but <laughs> that in a very roundabout way that again I had no control over. But it's I think it's definitely true about your hundred percent of the shots that you don't take or whatever. Like I was do I would do anything at that point. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah, just go. You gotta make some friends. Just play. Go play your drums. Why right. Why would you not go play your drums when you're 24? Yep. And somebody's gonna pay you 150 bucks to like learn their songs and go play your drums in front of people and like. Right. Of course you would do that. Well, and I think a lot of times we we sit around and sort of expect maybe the phone to ring or can't understand why things aren't happening. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, how many times have you, how much are you going out yeah. to like try to stir the pot a little? Dude, that or happens. How many times are you, connect, are, you know, yeah. are you connecting with people or you, whatever it is? That happens all the time. I So there's this band that I play in in LA. Um, it's not really a band, it's a gig. So there's a, music director here in LA called Drew Taubenfeld and he what does he do he plays for like Megan Trainer, and he used to MD for uh, Leon Bridges he got me on a couple Leon Bridges gigs a mm -hmm. couple years ago um, but he's like this sort of hotshot uh, LA MD people kind of go and <laughs> bow at his feet in the hopes that he'll he'll toss them a gig and he is he's very much a, a, a gatekeeper but he's also 
an incredibly sweet, kind guy who's into music for all of the right reasons. And we have this little gig that's once a month, um, and it's called the Hoot Nanny, and it's at Hotel Cafe. And me and Drew, uh, there's a bass player named Eric Curtis who plays with Michael Buble. Uh, he plays bass and some different keyboard players. And we're a house band, and we have between seven and ten artists come up and sing three songs with us. Mm-hmm. No rehearsal. They send the tunes in a couple days before. You just sort of make charts, and you just kind of wing it. And it's turned into this kind of a thing, you know? Like, it's a lot of musicians in L.A. go to this, and it's a very community-oriented kind of... It's a it's a very, really cool, really fun hang. And on the social end of it, I don't tend to be able to take too much advantage of it because, like, I'm on stage, like, the entire night, mostly. But what you're saying about making the phone ring, it made me think of what I would call sort of, like, reverse out-of-sight, out-of-mind, mm-hmm. where... I do a gig and then I'm having a drink at the bar and I'm talking to somebody and they go, oh, man, what are you doing next Tuesday? Because mm-hmm. you know what I got? Th- oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because so-and-so was saying they needed a drummer. Oh, cool. That person probably would not have like shot up out of bed in the middle of the night and been like, I need to call Mark Stepro for this gig. Right. But it was just, I was just there. I just right. did the thing. I'm just around. You just saw me. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? Let me make, let me check something because I think we might need you next week. And that stuff happens all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yep. that, uh, that I'm in control of. And there's also a larger element of it's just important, again, to like hang out without being a dirtbag about it. Like it's just important to be part of a community. Mm-hmm. Other people come watch me play. Yeah. I should go watch my friends play. It, totally. You know? I was Who was I just... I was talking to Adam Deitch about it. And like, to go out and support... It's hard to get people to come out and support you if you're the guy who doesn't go out and support everyone else. It's sort of that you're not in traffic, you are traffic. Kind <laughs> yeah. of, you know what I mean? Like, you can't gripe. I tweeted that a couple weeks oh, ago. Oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I it's like, you know, you can't... Where did gl- I hear... I don't, I, and I didn't make it up. I, I heard it somewhere, but... But, it yeah. illustrates the point, right? Yeah. Like you can't gripe about nobody coming to see your band, and you're like, "Well, when's what's the last band you went to see?" And it's like right. something like four months ago. You're yeah, like, got to be part of a community. And I'm very lucky in LA, and 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 as you'll learn as you stay longer, like that it's it's not a hassle to go out and see great music. Right. There's just so many musicians here that are so good and so inspiring. Yep. Happy happy to go out and participate. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the new Promark Select Balance? So Select Balance gives the drummers the ability to fine-tune a standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give an example. If you play rock or country or metal, then you can use the Promark Forward Balance. It gives you enhanced power and speed. But if you play jazz and funk and gospel, then you can use the Rebound Balance. And it gives you rear-weighted balance to give you better finesse and more agility. The best part is they're made by Promark. They control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick, which means you get unmatched level of quality and consistency. Plus, they're always paired by weight and by pitch, so you know that there is zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your bag. Check them out by going to promark.com. So if you're looking to get a new kit, you have two options. One, you can check out some pictures online. You can go to the store. You can see what they have there. You can drive to another store. You can find a couple more models, and you can drive yourself insane driving all over the place trying to see what the kit that you want looks like, or you can design yourself the perfect sonar kit using their SQ2 drum configurator. And this configurator allows you to build a kit from scratch, or you can use some of their predetermined configurations and then just modify them. But you can modify everything, the sizes, the configuration, the hardware, the color, 
all of that stuff and you can make it to your exact specifications. Not only that, you can get an overhead view, you can get a 3D image of it. All of that is all built into the drum configurator. To build your dream sonar kit, go to sq 2 dash drumsystem.com or just google sonar sq2 you'll find it check it out the sonar drum configurator i was going to say something about about that idea of like constantly being around i there was a there was a uh, saxophone player that used to come to our shows all the time right i didn't even know he was a saxophone player for a year mm. right and he would just come to the shows Come talk to us after. The th- oh man, it was a great show. Thanks, you know. Mm-hmm. And I started hoping this hosting this open mic night, and he shows up one night. Mm-hmm. He has a saxophone. Mm. He was great. Yeah. I said, dude, why didn't you tell me? So then the next time we played our residency, you know, I was like, you should come on play. With-. Next thing you know, he's like playing gigs with us. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's like, man, that guy just he he's always here. He yeah. never goes away. And yeah. I think that's that's kind of how you have to be, not in an annoying way. No, no, no. But you just, I, just I, dude, I remember being that way. Like in my twenties, like I in moving to New York and then moving to LA. Like definitely, you're just like it's you're going to the party and you're like, let me in, let me in, yeah. let me in the party, let yep. me in the party. I'm not leaving. I'm standing out here. I'm coming in. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going home. Like you know what I mean? Like that. You just got to keep doing it for sure. Yeah. Talk about the uh, the Butch Walker stuff and how you fell into that, okay. as you say fell into it very I, so just to be clear yeah this whole time i was like i wanted to say uh i was like well i was i was thinking butch trucks nope or Derek walker for some and i was like i don't know why it's yeah. like those two names just kept going in my head and i was like and i was like and then i was thinking butch v yeah i was gonna right? say that's and the, I'm yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. like the three of them are like toying around in my head for some reason there's also the fantastic la drummer butch norton uh, who plays? He used to play in the Eels. He plays uh, with okay. plays with Lucinda Williams now, mm-hmm. who's the other Butch musician dude from LA. But you get a pass on the Butch Vig thing because Butch Vig is a it's Butch record Vig. producer named Butch, <laughs> right, you know, right. in LA. Right. But no, I see Butch Vig at the Gelsons, but I haven't yet worked up the uh, tenacity to say hi to him. But no. Butch Walker, yes. Um, Butch Walker is a record producer. I I don't know if I need to explain who he is. He's a, he's a record. Pro- he's a very successful record producer who long before his success as a record producer had a long-standing career as a solo artist and leader of a bunch of bands going as far back as the late 80s and he's kind of carved out this really really cool career in LA um, and he's I don't really have his website in front of me but like you know <laughs> it's like he's done Taylor Swift and Keith Urban and Katy Perry mm-hmm. and Matchbox 20 and all, all this kind of stuff but he is a band guy he's a he fronts his own band. Um, and for, I'll tell you a couple of things about him and then I'll tell you how that thing kind of happened for me. Um, and the point that I want to stress about Butch as a producer is that in addition to being an incredibly kind person, one of those I'll pick you up at the airport guys. Right. So the term record producer can be this sort of ambiguous term that could kind of refer to a lot of skill sets or not a lot of skill sets or um, take a guy like Jim Scott or uh, Steve Albini in Chicago like those guys are record producers but they're like master engineers Mm -hmm. like they will you know tweak your sound and then your band sounds like what your band sounds like right my understanding of Rick Rubin is he'll show up every three months and say it's not done yet or whatever (laughs) but (laughs) 
that's not to disagree. But he's regrouping it, it, you're like, okay, I guess It works. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever he's doing, it's working. Um, but my, my point is just that there's all these very... You can call yourself a producer and that could just mean just about anything. Mm-hmm. But what I'm winding up to say to uh, vehemently compliment Butch is just that like you could be a 19-year-old upstart artist with a record deal and not know very much about music. And he can sit in a room with you with the acoustic guitar, help you write the song, um, put mics on the drum set, hit the space bar. He, Butch, can go play the drums, record them, pick up the bass, pick up the electric guitar, mm-hmm. do the percussion, do the background vocals, mix, master, here you go. Wow. Like, he can do all of that stuff. I've seen him do it. Like, I've seen him do it. He can do everything. So, immediately, you're like, okay, well, that's the kind of person just uh, from a, a talent level that I want to be associated with. And he has been able to do this for all of these artists for all of these years. And, you know, a, a lot of people think very, very highly of him. And I'm, I'm certainly one of them. Um, I moved to LA and I was walking my dog and I had some bands in Brooklyn that I was in that had, <laughs> I've told this story before, for lack of better terms, uh, and at the risk of sounding like a huge d-hole, we had some some sort of like super fan ladies who would kind of come watch kind of all of our gigs, and they were also super fan ladies of of Butch Walker. Mm-hmm. And this one woman calls me up, and she says, "Hey, um, I know you just moved to L.A. Uh, Butch Walker's looking for a drummer, and I know his manager, and I just wanted to, can I give him your phone number?" And at the time, I didn't know who Butch Walker was. I was still pretty busy with Ben Queller at that point, so I wasn't like, oh my God, I really, really need this. And also I was like, I kind of doubt that you actually know how to get a hold of this guy, but just the same thing that you've done a million times at the end of a gig, somebody asks for your number, you're like, yeah, okay, I don't know, yeah. here, cool, thank you, I don't know. And then I go back to walking the dog, dude calls, hey man, it's Butch, uh, I got uh, your number from my manager, um, Man, I got this studio over in Santa Monica. Like, I don't know if I'm, I'm kind of same dude. Same story as the Queller thing. I, you know, we're looking for a drummer. You know, blah blah blah. Now, but he's in the middle of LA. He can't find a drummer. No, and this is like no, no, no disrespect to you, but like, go ahead. He couldn't find anyone else. Well, he's not. Th- and this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. He's not a guy that's going to have a cattle call audition at SIR right. and bring thirty guys down. He right. is very steeped in sort of band culture and, you know, he wants a motorcycle gang, you right. know. I do not ride motorcycles. <laughs> I would fall, I would terrify it. Um, but the point is, and what's different between that experience with Butch in 2011 and Queller in 2005, we were talking about the advent of YouTube. So by this time, okay, by 2011, I've done all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And also YouTube exists. Mm-hmm. So, and Butch is an incredible musician. So he can go on and instantly see what I have and haven't done mm-hmm. and what I can and can't do on the instrument. Yep. And was like, all right, cool, that'll work. So I roll over there. And I was driving out, I was thinking to myself, I was like, am I going to an audition right now? Because I don't know any of this guy's music. You know what I mean? Like, right. if I get there and there's, like, dudes with, like, practice pads, like, getting ready to try out, I'm going to have to leave leave, or, or just fully disclose that I don't know what the, what's going on, you know? <laughs> but it, it wasn't like that because he doesn't really roll like that. And um, so, yeah, we played a little bit of music, and then it was like, all right, we're putting the band together. And 
what has been so incredibly fortuitous to me as it pertains to Butch's workflow is that he uses his guys on projects that he produces. Right. Right. So mm -hmm. he has used me on a bunch of kind of like, you know, big fancy records that he's made for big artists. Right. Um, because I'm in that band, mm -hmm. you know, it's like the Wrecking Crew. Basically, I mean, it, yeah. obviously, we don't work as much as those guys did, but right. yeah, it's it's kind of he wants his guys around, and that's how that's been going. Which I would imagine that you two see eye to eye on that because that's how you feel totally. about situations that you want to be in, right? You don't want to just go in and work for like producer A and your drummer one thirty two. I mean, I'll I'll play on anybody's record. I mean, I don't mind, and and not that I'm not worried about this, but like I. I'm not like fussy. Like I totally will take direction. Like you know what I mean. You like, seem like a very. I fussy only do dude. it this one way. Like I'm, you know, it's not that. It's just I'm just saying as a general, you know, means of like just. I guess I have a better time with people that I'm actually friends with, but that's not exactly like the most insightful statement. Like most people feel that way. You know what I mean? Like right. I, I work for a lot of producers, but he's just kind of the been the, the sort of longest standing and the one that I work with the most and spent the most time with. Right. Do you feel like the fact that you also play with him live helps you understand what he wants in the studio, or are they two sort of totally different worlds? They're different worlds in the sense that when we make a record for Gavin DeGraw or Jewel or Keith Urban, there's a different approach insofar as you're going for gridded pop, like we're Precision is the name of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, simplicity is the name of the game. And Butch is really, really good about... It's it's a really nice synthesis of, like, he'll have an idea. Sometimes he's a little fussy about specific kick drum patterns, but mostly we'll kind of agree on what the general feel is, and then I just kind of mostly do my thing, and right. he, he will veto it if something's too crazy. But that's another good thing about him, is, like, we, we will do passes where we just get totally weird just cause, right? Cause you can delete it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but anyway, that's pay for tape. Doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. But, but that stuff is very, you know, pop structured and he's very, very cognizant of the implications of how we record and how that will translate to a radio audience and all that sort of thing, which is its own world and its own skill set, And it's sort of something that I don't really know anything about. I'm, I, I'm just there to take his direction as far as that's concerned. But then when we record his music, there's no click track. The record is littered with mistakes. People are talking in between takes. Right. We go on tour and it's just a full on rock band. It's like the Heartbreakers meets Cheap Trick meets Big Star or something like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I was just thinking about like referencing different things. Like, oh, remember the thing that you did on, you know, what were you doing we this do that. show? And there's Dude, a, there's we totally some do that. that. Yeah. Some of that happening. There's just like any relationship, there's like a shorthand that, that develops over time right. and for sure like just weird inside jokes and weird fills and jokey stuff you know what I mean like they're just yeah there's like a uh, we do have a very good uh, base of kind of communication uh, as a result of having done this together for a long time right why do you think that whether even there even sometimes when there's like there's a band setting that they're using different guys in the studio versus the people who are in the band Oh, like meaning? Do you mean like a solo artist who already has a band? So, or sometimes there's there's bands that exist. Yeah, I, you know, I, like Jason Aldean always uses his guys, right? So, like yeah. all the guys who are in the Jason Aldean band mm -hmm. also play on the records. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, like Bruno Mars, like Eric will 
Eric, his brother, tours with him, but mm. he doesn't play on the records. Mm. Or, you know, I'm just I'm always curious if you like inside because I don't work I don't work in that world like I don't do okay like I've you know I've done my records and I've done rec a couple records for for other people right but like I'm not heavily steeped in that world by any means well I, okay so I have not to my recollection played on a record where there's been a band with a drummer like right. you know what I'm saying like a John Paul George and Ringo and I come in and replace Ringo it's not, I've right. never done that not with Butch that I can think of. I mean, I know that's like a thing that people maybe used to do in the 90s when they were recording a tape and it was very expensive and you couldn't afford to have the drummer not be very good or whatever, but right. I've never done that. What I have done, all of these people that I just mentioned that he's produced have drummers mm -hmm. and they're every bit as good as, if not better than me. But I think for him, it's just a... I think it's pretty standard practice maybe in LA to just... Yeah, I don't know why I keep using Gavin DeGraw as an example, but Gavin comes and Butch plays guitar. Our friend Why Not plays bass, or Butch will play bass. Um, why Not, who plays in our in the band, mm -hmm. um, and we just kind of do it ourselves. And you know, I, I think some of those artists, they, the model now in pop music too is that they work with multiple different producers, right? Because everybody's trying to get a hit. Um, so Gavin comes and does three or four songs with Butch and then three or four songs with Eric, Val Eric Valentine or who I don't even know. Right. Um, so maybe in that case it just wouldn't be feasible for them to always bring their own band around. Um, but also with Butch I think it's there's just a shorthand like also the way that because of Pro Tools like people record things sort of piecemeal at a time the artist will send him an acoustic thing mm -hmm. and he'll add some stuff to it and hit me up and just be like hey do you want to come play on this thing and it's me and him in a room like this with my drums out there and then I we just go do a couple passes right. and it's just easy. It's not everybody show up at nine o'clock and then we're going to get sounds and then we're going to do takes all afternoon. It's very, you know, it's... I, I wish I was part of that era of the record industry where people did that all mm -hmm. the time. Yeah, I was going to ask that. I'm doing one in... Um, doing one in September with my friends, the Mastersons, Chris and Eleanor Masterson. They play with Steve Earle and... Um, Shooter Jennings is producing their record nice. and we're going to do that live like mm -hmm. day one in the studio like it was when you were a kid you know yeah. like we're going to I was just thinking I don't think I've ever recorded a record that wasn't like that yeah you know because I don't get called to like th nobody calls me and's like hey can you play drums on this one track mm -hmm. you know or like can you play we're putting this song together can you play it's always like it's either my solo records my band yeah. you know whatever we I mean, that's certainly how I came up doing yeah. it for sure but then you know I just kind of fell into this thing where I've been doing this stuff in LA and stuff and yeah it's generally me and a producer and a computer mm -hmm. in, in a lot of cases which is, is totally fine but it'll, it'll, it'll be nice to it's always nice when we can get like everybody in the room at the same time when we for make sure. Butch's own solo records we, we do it that everyone's way. in the room yeah yeah do you do you have less of a connection with the music do you feel working under that environment just just with you and a producer and oh a... uh no because i can kind of bifurcate my mind into like recording like i said earlier it's like i'll record with anybody like just playing drums to a click track is like a challenge it's like a fun yeah you know like there's nothing it's way harder than it seems yeah it's really it's hard. a lot different than sitting on a pad playing with a click for track sure but, it, but it's like i'll do that all day just it's there are maybe to to offer a somewhat cagey answer to your question like there are artists whose records I played on who I maybe wouldn't be super jammed about like going on the road with for an entire year 
Right. But if we're just going to hang out in the afternoon and make some music together, like that's super fun. And mm -hmm. I can, I can really give myself to that. Right. I'm not jaded about it or, mm -hmm. or disinterested or think that I'm above it. Like I can really, really lock in and enjoy that process for what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the way that Butch works too. You know, like he's very cognizant of, okay, this is a female pop star. I know what kind of sounds we need. I know how long the song needs to be. Like, right. it's just, it's almost like a, like an IQ test or like a exercise, mm -hmm. you know, like we're doing this. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. How, how do you suggest that people who are looking to do that side of things? So I think the touring thing to me, you know, it's always like, okay, you got to know people who are on the road and you sort of get into that circle or you get, you know, the music directors or, you know, you got to know the bass player or this person or that person. Mm -hmm. The other side of it, getting, getting the studio work, doing, you know, doing sessions and things like that. Do you think the key is to get tied in with a good producer who can hire you on a regular basis? Do you think it's g getting connected with more artists? Right. What do you think is the best way? I mean, the the very simple answer that's very, very difficult to actually pull off because it contains a ton of stuff that's outside of your control is is the what you just said, is just find a producer that... And I'm not saying that this is all you need to do, just like... <laughs> but I'm saying if there is a producer who likes what you do like and calls you frequently, that would... That's that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. Now, can I tell some listener on your podcast like how to do that? Like, no, I don't know how to do that. I didn't know how to do that. I just answered the phone one day and this thing sort of happened. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's just it's just not the thing about music is and, and recording and all this stuff is it's it's just not meritocratic in the way that professional sports, for example, is. Like, if you can throw a ninety-seven mile an hour fastball for nine innings, you can be morbidly obese anti-Semitic, yep. terrible personal hygiene, you will work. Like right. you can walk into all a, the time. Do like, you really? Okay. I, yeah. I'm like, if you can, yeah, if you can throw a 95 it's mile. Just, like, it's black and white. Yep. You know what I mean? I mean, of you course. Will, and even, it doesn't matter where you live. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Like you walk on to any team, you will make the team. Yeah. And I, sus I suspect like pro, like real sport nerds would push back and talk about chemistry and I'm sure that's important or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, if you can do it, somebody will pick them up. Somebody will pick them up. Now you've practiced your 10,000 hours. You've moved to LA, you have all the all your drums, you can nail it to a click, you have your cool expensive jacket and your cool haircut. I, that doesn't mean anything. You know right. what I mean? Like that's that's not like a, a lot of guys can I might be like the fourth best drummer on my block if for all I know. You know what I mean? Like I don't know how to other than just what we've the sort of connective theme of what we've been talking about is just you got to grind it and do it and say yes to a bunch of stuff and never stop and hopefully you enjoy it mm -hmm. and you don't see it as this means to an end right you know what i mean right. like, oh this sucks now but when i get my big break this is all good you can't like that is a death wish you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. you just have to really really enjoy it mm -hmm. you know reminds me of the saying that desire is the contract that you make with yourself to be unhappy until you reach that point Desire is the contract you make with yourself to be unhappy until you've reached that point. Saying that, oh, it sucks now, but it's going to be better then. Yeah. Sort of, I think it's a bad way to that live. That sounds pretty awful, man, because statistically, you know what I mean? Like or even when you get to the point that you think you wanted to get to, yeah. you're going to be like, all right, well, I'm here now. Then we got to get to the next point, this so it's going to suck. So you're you're hitting on the fundamental crazy kind of like paradox about practicing and getting good and frankly like these kind of like drum podcasts or whatever because like 
this sounds really fatalistic and maybe a little bit crotchety, and I want you to test me on this, um, but it's just like there's nothing that I can say that's going to make somebody get it together and do it. I mean, certainly, like, there are hints and tips, and, like, I have, I'll stay up all night with you over a million beers telling you what's worked for me, and, like, maybe this would help, and I could listen to somebody's playing or whatever, but, like, you know, um, there's just... Somebody who really, really wants to do it is going to do it. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because they're going to accept no other outcome than they're doing it. Right. Okay. Yep. Every once in a blue moon, it's not often, believe me, but like every once in a blue moon, I'll have some parent or somebody ask me how to maybe like kind of motivate their kid or get their kid or our drummer to practice more or whatever. And it, again, it's, it sounds snarky, but I'm just like, I don't know because I don't know how to do that. Because right. when I was a kid, I had to like, I had to be told to stop practicing because it was time to go to bed. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't see it as like work that somebody needed to force me to do. I was just either lucky or unlucky, depending on how you look at it, right. <laughs> to be like obsessed with this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying about on a podcast, like or or in an interview or in a mentorship situation or even in a lesson. Like you can't really make somebody love something. Right. You know, you can just yeah, of offer your experience and say, "Here's what I do. I don't mm-hmm. know. Do you love this too? We can talk about it." Yeah. And I've said this before on the podcast that it's one thing if you want to listen to the podcast because, you know, it keeps you sort of moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. And you're hearing people's stories and yeah, yeah, you're yeah. getting inspired by things and all that. But the the other side of that is, and I see this a lot, and not just in, in music and drumming, but sort of in life where it's... It's the the idea that I have to listen to one more podcast because all the everything's going to be all the secrets are going to be in that thing. Nope. I have to read one more book. I need yeah. to have one more conversation. It's like no, you just need to do. Yeah. And w- for me, and I know that I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would imagine you're going to say the same thing. For me, what's worked in business, what's worked in music, what's worked in health is literally just one foot in front of the other for an extended period of time. Sure and enough. I think that reading. Reading, you know, got to read the next book, got to listen to the next podcast. To me, that is a form of procrastination. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And you're sort of looking, as you said, the elevator instead of mm-hmm. the stairs. Yeah. And then you realize that for the three, the last three years, you've been reading the next book and you know listening to the next podcast. And I, t- I'm like, listen, if you, if you, we've done almost 500 episodes of this podcast. Wow. If you haven't gotten what you need mm-hmm. out of these 500 episodes, you're not going to get it in the 600. Yeah. You know, like, and if you have what you need, then stop listening and mm-hmm. start going doing. Yeah. It's one thing if you want to listen to it for entertainment. Totally. And there's you know? a ton of that in, in your podcast and many, many, many other podcasts. But yeah, there, what there is not is like a silver bullet that's just like, if it's I just good. do this thing, right? this will all work out or whatever. Because yep. God, you know, if, if you find that, let me know. Because I'd, I'd love to know too. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're, we're still trying to figure that one out, I guess. Yeah. Let me know. But like you said, show up. Show up. That's it. If you want. If you want to. If you love it. You know what I mean? And right. that's what I'm saying. It's so kind of z- weird and zen about it. Like, if you love it, you'll do it a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you do it a lot, you'll get really good. And if you get really good, people will call you, and then that'll, like, reinforce the love that you have for it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's this weird, circli- circular, sort of organic concept. Right. If you weren't playing drums, what would you be doing? I don't know. Working at a coffee shop, probably. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I went to school for literature and books and stuff like that, so probably teaching. You seem like you'd be a good teacher. I, I, well, I teach drums every once in a blue moon, and I really, really enjoy it. Um, 
Yeah, I'm a reader. I don't know. I'm a book guy. Yeah. I'm just going to read 300 books and maybe that'll show me the magic bullet. There you go. <laughs> what are uh, what are some of your book recommendations? What are you reading now? Uh, right now I'm reading a memoir by Tara Westover called Educated about um, a girl who grew up in rural Idaho to a dad who was kind of like one of those weirdo, what was it, like Ruby Ridge, kind of like a mm-hmm. separatist off the grid family and didn't like she didn't know who Martin Luther King was until she was 21 and then she really? somehow got out of this wacky separatist family and like went to Harvard oh wow and just had this total you know paradigm shift or whatever right. it's a really really fascinating memoir she's probably our age mm-hmm. yeah interesting yeah. cool so if people want to find you get in touch with you follow you what's the best way to do it well, I'm at 40, If you're starting yeah. a cult. Uh, yeah, he's come, come join my cult. Uh, yeah. Well, I live over in Atwater. Uh, you can come stop by the house. Um, what's, your, what's your exact address? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, <laughs> like, so you can, I'm on Instagram. It's just, it's just my name, which is just M-A-R-K-S-T-E-P-R-O, Mark Stepro. You can hit me up on there or Twitter. Um, oh, I should mention this quickly because I, I don't have like a personal website or whatever, but um, I did just was talking to Kirsten Matt and Emily Smith at Zildjian and they're doing a cool thing where they're turning their sort of artist bios into this uh, slightly more interactive format where I can go in and upload content mm-hmm. sort of under my name right, right. on their website. So I ostensibly would be a little more in charge of the curation, you know, um, where I'll upload clips of playing and stuff like that and I guess pictures or whatever. Um, this just came up in the last two days, so I, it's a good it's a good time to bring it up. Um, it'll probably take a minute, but eventually, to answer your question, if you go to the Zildjian website, um, there'll be some you'll have like updated stuff. stuff on there. Yeah, yeah, awesome for sure. And we can uh, once it you know once it comes out, uh, if it's not up by then, we can always go back and add it. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay, cool. So that everybody can find it. And one last question: What do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions that you had as a younger drummer? getting into the business that you know now to not be true? Um, that it's a meritocracy. Yeah. And that all you need to do is get good. Um, and I'm not saying that to imply that you don't need to get good because you definitely need to get good, but everybody's good. Right. You just have to get good and get kind of lucky and make a lot of sacrifices and set your life up in a certain way and not stop doing it and keep going, which is a lot different from just simply, okay, I'm good at the drums now. Right. And now I know that. And it's just, it's a life, it's just a lifelong pursuit. And you learn these things over the course of doing it for 25 years, 30 yeah. years. Yep. One foot in front of the other. Always. Mark, thanks, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah. Glad we got to do me. this finally. Cheers. All right, that was my man, Mark Stepro. And for all the show notes, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 494. You already know that. And if you dig what you're hearing, uh, please do me a favor and leave a rating or a review on iTunes. That helps it show up higher in the search results, lets people know that this podcast is awesome. And Or, I don't know, maybe you hate it and you're going to leave a bad review. But if you love it, leave a review. And if you hate it, <laughs> I don't know. Shoot me an email. 
and we'll we'll talk it out. Uh, but I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate Mark for taking the time to chat. And I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And we're getting close to 500 episodes. So be sure that you're following us on Instagram, Facebook, and you're on the mailing list because you're gonna you can win some cool prizes. But until then, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. <laughs>